Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hey there, welcome to today's program uh, here on the day after April Fool's Day. I don't know about your part of the country, but here in Boston, um, spring is busting out all over. Uh, Blooms on all the trees, stuff's popping up. That gives people that whiff of summer. So if you're running on fumes here in the month early of in the early April, well, you only have about two months left. And we only have two educators panels programs left before we take a break for the summer, as we do every year on collaborative problem solving at school. Um, but today is our second to last educators panel day, and I know that we have at least two of our uh, well, two of our educators on the line with us already. Let's see who we've got. I know we have Carol. How are you today? I'm very well. How are you? Good. I'm glad you were able to join us. Now, this next one, I'm not sure who we have. It could be Tom. It could be Nina. I'm betting Nina. It's Nina. I recognize the voice. <laughs> you are definitely not Tom. I am not. <laughs> How are you both? We're hanging in there, I think. We're good. Very good. Early April, summer is in the air. Definitely. And now, as fate would have it, we also have... Oh, wait. We have a caller. Uh, and I think we could take callers today. Do you? Do either of you? I've got some uh, emails that I thought we would uh, turn to today, but... Um, we usually don't take callers on collaborative problem solving at school, but I'm in a risk-taking mood today. <laughs> um, but do either of you have anything that you want to make sure we cover here right off the bat here today? No, I'm pretty flexible. Yep, me too. I can't think of anything in particular. All right. So let's be adventurous here. And... See if our caller from area code 973 has something that they want the educators panel to address. Hello, area code 973, you're on the air. Well, um, how are you doing today, sir? Good, you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm a student currently in high school, so I figure, you know, what a better way to really understand what's going on in the schools and to get a student's perspective of everything. So wow. I'm just here to share anything you would like to know from me. Well, this is an opportunity. We don't. You may be the first student to ever call into the program. Thank you. 
Um, now, now a few questions. Um, yep. What what brought you to listen to the program in the first place? I don't know. I've always kind of filtered through these radio stations now and then, and I noticed this one, and I figured there's probably something interesting happening here. So, well, this have program. It, all right, this program is about collaborative problem solving. Okay. Collaborative problem solving is a way of understanding and helping. Uh, kids, and in the case of this program, students with behavioral challenges. Oh, that's perfect. I have ADHD, and I have done a full 360 turnaround because of it this recent year. Wow. Wow. So, educators panel, we're going to go ahead with this? Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about his experiences. I I totally agree. So don't tell us your name because we do this program anonymously. Yep. Um. What do you want to tell us about your experiences both with uh, having ADHD and mm-hmm. how how schools have handled your ADHD? And before you start, I'm going to bring our third educators panel member on the air. Um, yep. He's a principal named Tom. Tom, welcome to the program. Thank you. Tom, just to bring you up to speed here, we have a student who has called into the program. Um and he's going to give us his insights. This is not totally unprompted, um, uh, which is kind of cool since we are in a risk-taking mood today. Um, he's going to tell us his uh, experiences in having ADHD and how schools have handled it and school discipline in general. Student, you're up. Okay. So basically throughout my entire career in school, I was always kind of screwing up my grades, uh, acting up a lot just because I wanted attention. And it was for the entire time I always read the symptoms of, you know, ADD and ADHD, and I always thought that was the culprit. But um, unfortunately, not everyone believed me. And, in fact, when I was eight, um, I went to a neurologist, and they diagnosed me as, like, perfectly fine, so... Um, but I always thought there was something because I just, it would always seem to get, the information would always seem to just go through one ear, out the other. I wouldn't be able to focus. Any little thing gets me off task, things like that. So last year we decided since it was um, my sophomore, last, the end of my sophomore year. So I kind of said to myself, I really wish I could do something about it. So we finally got into the doctor's office after months of appointment making. But once we finally got there, they that I was a, like, perfect picture of an ADHD child. So a um, couple months passed again because we had to wait until I could schedule with a therapist. Um, the therapist then diagnosed me with Adderall. Uh, or, I'm sorry, she prescribed me with Adderall. And I, I first of all, thought this wasn't going to be some magical drug. That this was just going to be something that helps me, you know, focus a little and I would still have to do all this work and I was completely unmotivated. But um, mainly what happened was it worked, like, beyond any prior belief that I had, and that was one real big accomplishment. And then when at school, the school didn't really get involved with any of it, but what they did do was all the classes that I was retaking because I had to do the poor grades that I got in sophomore year, um, basically... It just all kind of, the teachers all helped me out. They understand what happened, and we kind of just took it from there, and now I'm doing 
pretty well honor roll student both semesters of my junior year. And it's just goes to show that if you just kind of try a little and don't be so quick to, you know, doubt someone of having some disorder that holds them back, it, maybe they do and it's worth getting checked out because it's paid off in the long run. Wow. So my take I find your story really interesting. Sorry, can I butt in Carol. for a little bit, Russ? Sure. Um, I find your story really interesting because it's actually kind of the, the, the reverse of what we often see. A lot of times, um, sometimes it's the, the, the student themselves is not that aware of what's going on with them, and sometimes it takes um, a team of you know, people at the school or parents to kind of notice. What did your parents think through all this, um, this experience that you had from the time when you were, say, in elementary school and having trouble paying attention and doing work? Um, what, was, what was their take on it all? Um. Basically, my dad, I'm pretty much a carbon copy of, as it seems, because he said he always had the same problems, but he managed to get through it somehow, and he always kind of viewed me as I can do it too, so he wasn't always too worried about it until I started getting to high school and really kind of started to screw up. Um, My mom always cared a lot, but um, she didn't really have the chance to be able to do anything because I was, at that time, content with the downward spiral I was in, and I just kind of, I, I just, it takes a mindset as well as the medication to fix yourself, and for the most part, they were all very supportive when I came up to them the last time and said, I think I have ADHD. They pretty much said, we do too, and we should, it's worth getting checked out again, and it turns out it was in the long run. That's great. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um sounds like you've had quite a turnaround, too. Yeah. And it um, sounds like it's been due to your effort plus the help of some medication. Yeah. Perfection. I'm mm-hmm. kind of I'm delighted that you've had a turnaround. I guess I'm also interested not only in your personal story, which is on the upswing at the moment, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um there's a few things that I drew from your story, um, things that I listen for and hear frequently. Number one, you said something about um, people not believing that you are having trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, um, when I was doing research about it with my parents, it turns out it is the most commonly uh, misdiagnosed uh, neurological disorder. So, of course, people were going to be a bit skeptical about it, but Again, once you just go to the neurologist and they tell you that you have it, it's usually, I can see kids kind of getting, just being unmotivated or lazy, getting associated with it, but I definitely think there is cases where it actually gets in the way of things, regardless. Believe it or not, believe it or not, on this program, Mm -hmm. we don't think any kid is unmotivated or lazy. Really? What do you think of that? Interesting. I've, I've seen quite a bit of kids in my school that don't really seem like a motivated, um, pursuant individual. Right. We we find that with kids who look unmotivated and look lazy, mm-hmm. there's always something getting in their way that people haven't figured out yet. True. In I your case... That. I mean, I suppose it's possible that unmotivated and lazy were being applied to you as well, yes? Yes, very much so. And then people figured out what was getting in your way, and you got the help mm-hmm. that you needed. Um, yep. And luckily, 
they, they figured it out right, apparently, and you got the help that you needed, and that's um, that, that's the way it usually goes when we figure out what's really getting in a kid's way and the kid gets the help he needs. Tell me, um, just curious about your opinion on this, mm-hmm. what do you think of the way schools typically go about, because um, also on this program we wonder about whether traditional school discipline fixes anything. Okay. As you, as you think about the kids in your building mm-hmm. who aren't doing well, and you're in high school, so you've probably been acquainted with kids who aren't doing well for a rather long time at this point. Yep. Um, do those kids need something different than what they've been getting all along? Um, to be honest, I could, uh, there is an emotional support class, but even then, some of the kids that I could think of are just even unresponsive to that, and it's almost like, it's hard, probably understandably hard to get through to them because they're so clouded by whatever's happening, but there's always something, as I, as I heard you say before, there's always something, I think, that gets in people's way, and just if that's discovered, but... Some people, it's harder to reach than others. and For sure. For sure. Educators panel, any other questions for our caller? We are delighted that you called. This is, this is, a, this is a new experience for us. You are truly, we don't, number one, we don't necessarily get a lot of callers on the educators panel. You, you, believe it or not, you've landed in the once-a-month, first Monday-of-the-month program that we do here. It's usually just me. But um, on the first Monday of every month, I am joined by um, some, uh, some from by three educators from across North America who uh, wow. lend their wisdom as well. So you've you've landed smack dab in the middle of the educators panel. Um, educators wow. panel, any questions for our caller <clears throat> before we let him go? Um, I, I'm wondering if there was anything somebody could have done for you in elementary school when you said no one believed you and that you things were going in one ear at the other and you just knew that something wasn't right. Was it, would there have been anything an adult could have done to change things for you? Um, at that time, I was kind of too... It was regardless of my grades in elementary school. I just kind of always knew that it was there. But when people would doubt me, I mean... I can understand it almost because, first of all, it was extremely expensive. And people, and even the teachers just always, as you guys say, they tried to find a way to see if it was something else because due to the prior, you know, misdiagnosis saying that I didn't have it, all the teachers acknowledged the fact that I probably didn't have it. And they went from there thinking I was just a unmotivated individual when what really would have helped is if there was just a, another kind of, Test to help um, figure it out. Like besides the one that I took in when I was eight years old, I wish there was something else afterwards that could have just kind of helped people notice a little bit more that I was pretty profiled of ADHD, and I, I just wish I could have gotten it earlier too with the scheduling um, because I was it was right at the end of sophomore year and I was getting my medicine right before finals and it didn't really help much in improving my grades for that year. So um, that's the one thing I wish that could happen was the process of, you know, learning that you have this to be less expensive and much easier to do in a certain period of time. 
Yeah, so keep digging until you find what's getting in your way instead of just saying try harder because you don't have this. So keep looking. Yeah. Well, I thank also you. believe that you should get the kid to help want to find himself. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you should get the kid to want, motivate him somehow to feel like he needs to find out how to better himself. Just because, yeah. Well, I think this is exactly kind of what what we do on this program is, and and in our schools, and part of the reason that we all get drawn together is that we all have similar philosophy on what to do with kids who are struggling with whatever it is. And one of the main philosophical points that we have is that a diagnosis isn't where we start from. All it tells Mm -hmm. us is a little bit about what it looks like when you're having trouble. So I think in in our schools, even if your, your testing had come back negative, that wouldn't have been the end of it. It would have been, right. well, this child is, is showing these difficulties. doesn't matter if he has a diagnosis or not. What can we do to help him um, get past whatever this is that's getting in his way? How can we adapt what we're doing? How can we set up his classroom, his assignments, um, mm-hmm. his relationships in the school to be successful? So I think that's yep. maybe where this all ties into what we do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the people who are designated to help kids like me out, they do do a good job of it. They keep you engaged and they seem to work well, but it's just some people, you know, don't like people being able to work themselves towards them. They just kind of get defensive about it and whether it's home problems or whatever's happening with them, it's just the one barrier I think is the hardest to get through, but once you do it, it's pretty beneficial. Yeah. We are delighted that you called in today. Yep, no problem. And um, if you want to, I'm going to keep you on the line if you want to keep listening. Um, yep. But I'm going to mute you because we're going to move on to some other some of the other questions that we have uh, okay. waiting for us, as we always do on this program. But we are yep. very appreciative that you called in. This is a, uh, once again, this is um, a novel experience for all of us, not only to have a caller on the educators panel, but to have that caller be a student. So mm-hmm. thank, thanks yep. for um, being the first. Thank you. You bet. It's been great hearing from you. Yeah, yep. thank, thank you. you. You too. Thank you. Wow. That's pretty cool, eh? Well, it's it's so, I don't want to say rare, but it's one of the first times that I've heard of a student who was such an advocate for themselves. Yep. Um, and, and exactly what he was saying near the end there, where he said he wished that, he, that um, schools would do more to help kids be more in control of what's going on with them and to give them... Um, more empowerment, and I think that's yep. that's really a big part of what we do. Have them be part of the team instead of doing mm-hmm. things at them, having them work together, and, and feeling that is so important. Yeah, and your question, Nina, about what um, what would have helped him more in elementary school, I think that it really um, underlines the importance of, of giving kids that voice from a young age and al- allowing them to realize that you know, things don't get done to them, but rather with them in order to solve problems is really important. Right, and that try harder isn't the solution, which is what I think <laughs> yeah. that kids are, I think kids are told that way too much, and I hear that yeah. so many times, yeah. and it just, it doesn't make any sense. Just try I mean, harder, we'll give I... you a gumdrop. <laughs> right. <laughs> or it doesn't work, it doesn't work if I just say it louder and faster. Exactly. No, no. <laughs> or make you stay home until you listen to me. Yeah, do that. Exactly. Do that. Do that. Yeah. Brutal. I'll take this. I'll take this away for three weeks. It doesn't work. Either. Yeah. Unreal. Well, he he's he's uh he's one of the lucky ones because he 
figured it out somewhat on his own. Got to help him. Yeah, absolutely. What I was going to say to him is, um, you know, we, we kind of do kids with ADHD pretty well at this point. Um, it's it's one of the ones we tend to be sensitized to, and one of the ones that we actually do a decent job of these days, certainly better than we were doing 20 or 30 years ago. Um, I was, you know, I guess my reference point is the aggressive, oppositional, non-compliant, disruptive kid, and those are the ones who we frequently do not do such a great job of these days, so it's mm-hmm. sort of interesting. Um, I was, uh, he reminded me, you know, we're on this kids do all if they can theme. I'm at the uh, supermarket the other day. This little, like, um, she, she couldn't have been more than three or four years old. She's ahead of me in the checkout line. She's wearing this adorable little ballerina outfit. And her, her grandma was taking stuff, and she was pushing one of those, you know, one of those little kid carts. And it looked like she, I, my sense was that she was spending a special day with Grandma. They were buying juice and, you know, whatever they were going to have. And Grandma was taking stuff out of the cart and putting it on the, you know, the thing that the teller rings it up. Teller? Whatever. Cashier. What are they, whatever they're called. Um, and the little girl with the ballerina outfit is trying very hard to do the same. And I was thinking to myself, see... Kids strive to do what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Kids kids do well if they can. She was able to reach the top of the register. It wasn't so easy. Her grandma was helping her out. But she wasn't getting an M&M for doing it. <laughs> she, she wasn't getting all kinds of praise heaped on her for doing it. She was doing it because she saw that it could be done and wanted to see if she could do it herself. And I guess my I'm standing there watching, and of course I, I see what I see, and you know I think what I think, and I, like most of us, scan the world for things that confirm my existing beliefs. But I remember looking at this adorable little girl in her pink ballerina outfit at the supermarket and thinking to myself, there's proof that kids do well if they can. Of course she wants to do well, and what she was doing was emulating what she was seeing adults doing. Where could that break down if the adults are doing things that we didn't want to have the kid emulate? Or if the kid is lacking for whatever reasons, in this case I suppose it could have been motoric, could have been attention span, lacking the skills to actually do what's adaptive and what they are seeing is clearly adaptive. Um there, right there in the supermarket, was a kid doing well if she could, um, without aid of M&Ms and all kinds of extrinsic praise being heaped upon her. You never know when you're going to see a kid doing well if they can. Yep. Want to turn to some questions that we've gotten by email? Sure. Sure. We don't sure. usually do these on this program, but here goes. We need to give this mom some advice. My daughter is lost at school. She is on an IEP that is not working. The teachers and guidance counselors don't know what to do with or for her. 
she often tells the teachers that she's stupid. When an assignment is given, she says, I don't get it. Yesterday, she said to an aide that she was going to throw herself out of the window. She got sent home. We took her to a private counselor this morning who told us that while she's in school, she needs to know that we expect her to conduct herself appropriately. <laughs> the school has heard about, well, it says Ross Green, but we'll say collaborative problem solving when I mention the name. They're willing to learn, but I believe they need professional guidance. One mother's plea for your kind of help is not going far, and I'm getting concerned that if I don't get effective help like the CPS methods and philosophy soon, that it will only get worse for my daughter and her teachers. I really need help. I'm scared for my daughter. Um, educators panel, we got any advice for this mom? I get emails like this all the time. Well, this is one of them. Heartbreaking. What should, she, what should she do? Well, I guess I would start um, with um, finding out what are the what's 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 working well with her daughter. What does she still enjoy? It sounds like she's definitely got um, this area that's happening at school that's that's causing her a lot of distress. But I like to to start with a, a positive because we know that challenging kids aren't challenging all the time. I like to throw out the, the mantras. Um, so when is she not being challenging? What are the things that still bring her joy, that still bring her a feeling of success, that bring her enjoyment? And then try to start prioritizing, going, you know, looking at the ALSIP with, with, through home maybe to begin with and then through school. I think if, people, if the people at her school are willing to learn, then I think just bringing in the ALSIP is a great way to start um, shifting the perspective a little bit in the meetings. If they're on an IEP, obviously she's, they're having IEP meetings and probably school-based team meetings and all kinds of meetings. So I think using the ALSUP as a focus to try and start to identify what specifically are the, the unsolved problems would be where I would start with. If she could find one person, just one person that was interested in learning more, to direct them to the website just to learn about Plan B conversations and to able to be proactive and have a conversation when she's not you know, in a crisis state would be would be really helpful too. Just that one person that gets passionate can make a huge difference. Maybe a former teacher of the of the little girl or somebody that really cares about uh, cares about her. I would agree with all that. I would also say that uh what I've learned is the importance of the specificity of, of using plan B to work on collaborative problem solving. So I think that everything that, that uh, the other two panel members said uh, totally are, are right on, but I also think that, that um, using the ALSUP to get very specific about unsolved problems, and what I've learned is that if if somebody chooses one unsolved problem and, and solves it and makes it better, um, there's a certain level of consciousness that this was a problem, I've solved it, it's become better, and it develops uh, some kind of deep psychological energy uh, or confidence that you could solve another one. And so it starts almost like what I'd call a, a problem-solving snowball. So y you start it at the top of the mountain, just a little snowball, and you roll it and you build it up. And then it starts to gain some momentum, and then you start knocking off problems left, right, and center. And sometimes if you get one really big one solved, a lot of other, quote, little ones go away. So I think it would be really important to start specific and have some success, whatever that success may be, for each individual child. I love the idea of starting with the ALSUP 
because it's starting with trying to understand what's going on with a kid rather than starting with solutions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find that when people start, I find that when parents and educators start with solutions, number one, it's highly unlikely that um, they will be on the same page when it comes to solutions. And then it gets adversarial quickly and unnecessarily so. Um, well, it sounds like this this student has been solutioned up to her neck already if she's already, you know, being being guided by an IEP that's not working and being taken to counselors and being told, you know, do, you're, we expect you to behave appropriately. It sounds like she's she's already kind of been plan A'd up the yin yang, as my mother-in-law would say. Um, and more of that. Mother-in-law in this program. Now this program has everything. <laughs> We've got our first caller, and it was a kid, and now we're talking about mother-in-laws. Okay, Uh-oh. don't get me started. <laughs> um, good place to start is trying to get on the same page, not with regard to solutions, but with regard to who is this kid what skills is he lacking? What's getting in his way? Even though there could be disagreements there, boy, that also is going to do a lot of blocking for people. Mm-hmm. Right. And they probably have a lot of information. If if there's an IEP, there is probably a lot of information there that I feel sometimes that that goes to waste when there's a that you can really show goes directly towards lagging skills and what is what are the lagging skills and what what can we do? Do you agree, Ross, that once that I guess my comment earlier would be would have assumed that you would go through the step of filling out the LSEP and doing the empathy step, but then choosing one problem. Do you agree that 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 it is important to start with pretty specific? Oh, with the unsolved after problem. After you get through the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You mean a specific unsolved problem? Yeah, yeah. Once once you kind of hear where the student is, which can take a significant amount of time in understanding where they're coming from, then selecting an unsolved problem. Typically, wouldn't you recommend selecting one together? With the kid, that the, yeah, that the kid. I mean, I've seen you do that, where you, you know, it's really important that the kid is invested in, in that, in, in working on that problem. Yeah, I mean, um, sometimes it turns out that way. Sometimes the adults aren't especially um, aren't dying to start with a particular unsolved problem, and that that's when I'm especially likely to invite the kid into the which unsolved problems should we we be working on right now. Sometimes uh, the adults do have a better sense of priority, but that doesn't mean that the kid doesn't have a sense of priority either. So I, w- I would call that sort of a judgment call. Hmm. Um, I- I'm okay letting adults choose the unsolved problems to work on. That empathy step is going to get the kid engaged. Okay. Um, shall we turn to another one? Sure. Sure, sure. Uh, Dr. Green, I recently attended a training on collaborative problem solving and am interested in implementing collaborative problem solving within my school. The question is regarding Plan B. Several teenage students who struggle with the lagging skills of inflexible, inaccurate interpretations, cognitive distortions, or biases, when their perceptions are inaccurate or they are dishonest about what actually occurred and then twist situations so that it would appear that they do not understand, how do you collaborate effectively? Example, 
I want you to remember those words. Example. 14-year-old boy cuts to the front of the lunch line. Teacher, in moderate tone, kindly asks him to please go to the end of the line for, for ditching. I'm not familiar with that term. I was call, always called cutting, but now it's ditching. <laughs> Do you guys know ditching? Nope. Nope. <laughs> no, never heard of ditching. Well, it must be a different part of the country. Uh, well, actually, we have quite a spread here on this program, so maybe it's not any particular part of the continent. <laughs> Student uses profanity, calls the teacher a name, and says, don't talk to me. When beginning the collaborative process, the student reports that he was simply checking the menu at the front of the line and while standing there was disrespected by the teacher, which then merited his response. If he perceives even inaccurately that he is being disrespected, he feels it is his right to return the favor. Would like to hear how you can use CPS effectively in this circumstance. Now, this is an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, very interesting. When I like this one a lot. My, my first thought is that there's huge trust issues between this student and any adults that he's worked with. It sounds like a student with, you know, a lot of challenging behaviors and has probably run into a lot of plan A and, you know, inflexible thinking on the part of the adults that he's worked with as well. So I think it's it's going to be a long process. I don't think they should give up. I mean, obviously, this if they're identifying his lagging skills as as having that rigid, inflexible thinking and, um, you know, cognitive distortions, everybody's out to get me. Um, you have to start building that skill. And I think plan B conversations, even if they don't right away come to a, a, a solution that's going to work, just the process of going through the empathy step um, and really listening and not just jumping to this is my agenda and this is what I want to do, I want you to do what I want, um, it's going to go a long way in teaching that skill. Plan B is the perf is one of the, I think, an excellent mode of teaching the skill of um, understanding other people's point of view because that's what it's all about. You understanding the student's point of view, you're modeling how to listen to someone else and get their point of view before you jump in with your point of view. It's an excellent vehicle for that. And it's exciting that the student's able to tell you his perception and and just to steer away from trying to prove to him that that wasn't reality is going to get get way off track with plan B. So going with their perception and knowing that that's good, wonderful information to have and to take that as truth. Uh, I just always remember that what you know you talk about, Ross, is not to try to prove to the child that, that this, that was wrong or what they... Um, perceived was wrong because then you'll you'll never get to solving problems and you'll never dig deep enough to know what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tom, I, I'm, I, yeah, I was, I was kind of I don't know I don't know if I'm just being self-reflective today or what, but I I just thinking about um, how important it is to plan a time to have conversations that are effective. So in other words, I could imagine that his response would cause the adult to get a little bit amped. You know, organically. Like, what do you mean you, you didn't cut line? You just cut line, and you're, and you're, I saw you do it, and now you're making up this, you know. Okay. So that's that's one perspective. Another perspective would be, hey, you know what? Totally understand that you came to the front of the line, and you were just looking. Totally cool. Can you go back to the back of the line, and we'll catch up about this later. Right? And And just kind of give it some room to breathe so that the adult... 
I, I just I think it's really important to plan these conversations carefully. I've noticed with my son that the best time is in the morning after my wife takes the three year old to school. Mm. We have about twenty minutes when we ride you know, we do some things, then we ride in the car over to wreck. I've solved more problems at my house in that fifteen minutes just by <laughs> using plan B bath time, bedtime, I mean all kinds of stuff that goes on. And I notice that that's when he always tells me if something has happened at school that he's not comfortable with. So I'm pretty calm then because the three-year-old's not running around and screaming. My wife's off on her way. And my son and I just have some time alone together. So I I wonder about this student and the way or timing of the adult interaction with with him. I'm um, reflecting on the student who called us at the beginning of the program. Mm. One of the first things he told us is that people didn't believe him. Um, yeah. It's uh, And here we have um, a situation in which a student is telling us, and, and who knows, maybe it is maybe it is BS, but that he... Who are we to say? He, what's that? Well, I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Who are we to say that he wasn't checking the menu? I mean, maybe that's our perception, maybe our cognitive... Maybe maybe we have the cognitive distortion that we're always looking for this kid to get in trouble. Maybe. And I think that it's really mind-blowing how often we adults decide that the kid is BSing us. Right. Um, right. When in fact, I mean, this is, to me, the this is the interesting part. Not only have we decided he's BSing us, we've decided that he has a inaccurate interpretation, cognitive distortion, or bias, and that his perceptions are are inaccurate, or he's dishonest about what actually occurred, and he's twisting the situation so it appears that he does not understand. Uh, the, the interesting thing is I've never found, and I mean never, never ever, that there's a downside to taking the kid's concern or perspective at face value. There's no downside. Even if he's making it up, it'll come out in the plan B wash. Even if he's making it up, there is a huge downside to not believing him, as we heard from the kid who called our program this morning. I mean, I think this morning at the beginning. That that is exactly what I was trying to say is that that if you if you if you don't recognize internally as the adult in the situation that you're a little warm about it, maybe not agitated, but just I just think it's a really subtle thing, the empathy step. And it's really important for the adults to monitor their emotional center when when working on it and try to find a time, which is a very complicated thing to do in a public school with the schedules, the routines, the expectations. It's an important piece that, that you know, the adults do have a lot of control over their reaction to the student's um, stimulus, you know, what the kid's putting forward. It uh, troubles me that we adults spend, well, many adults spend a good part of their time wonder, questioning. And, and I understand, you know, there are students who aren't honest. But if you want a student to talk to you, and if you want to collaborate on solutions, it doesn't begin with questioning whether the student is giving you the straight poop. Right. It, well, it begins with a, it begins with assuming that you're getting a straight poop, and if you got not getting a straight poop, that'll come out in the plan B wash yep. because now at least y'all are communicating and have a relationship in which the yep. kid feels like he can be honest with you. Yep. Right. And if we think about ourselves, we all inaccurately perceive 
different situations. You think somebody's mad at you or you think somebody's yelling at you. And if and if you're approached in just a, a way of them trying to talk you out of it or being upset with you, but it's, it's, it doesn't prove that to you. But sitting down and actually digging and listening, purely listening, you're going you're gonna to get to the truth and you're going to get to a way to solve the problem and apply that to a, next, a, a similar situation. Carol, want to weigh in? Uh, no, I agree with everything. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just wonder to myself how many adults there are out there who when um a kid is a kid either their own or a kid at school, a student at school, is telling them something, is wasting an enormous amount of energy on trying to decode whether what the kid is telling them is accurate or not. What a what an unfortunate yeah. filter yeah. through which to communicate with a kid. Yeah. I think there's a lot of time being sorry, go ahead. Uh, I just think there's a lot of time spent talking kids out of what they're saying. Trying to prove what they're saying is not what really happened. I see that or just talking them into trying to make different decisions instead of listening. That's really interesting because I, I was talking. Noticed, sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I was just going to say I, I sometimes have to be careful when I'm when I'm going through the empathy step and and digging that my questions aren't loaded or weighted to get the answer that I want. Mm. You know, to try and ask really non-judgmental questions. So I find myself falling back on "Tell me more about that" or "I don't really understand," um, and trying not to not to lead the student into the direction that I think they should be going. And that's something yeah. that I've had to be careful with. Uh, I, I agree. That was actually exactly the line that I was going on too. Was that piece I was saying about planning the conversations carefully so that you're calm and open to it affects the, the questioning and the and the the way that that would you know the way that unfolds. Does that make make sense? It's a little bit nebulous, but yeah. just having a good time to do it and being ready to 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 uh, expecting the roadblocks that are going to come up when working with kids is really important because it helps us to stay focused. So having a good time for the child, but also make sure it's a good time for the adult. I think that is really important because I know for myself, if I'm feeling under pressure or rushed or stressed, then it's the worst time for me to be trying to engage in a plan B conversation. Yeah, it's subtle, isn't it, that feeling? Oh, absolutely. And that's usually when the conversations go badly, it's usually me. It's usually something that I wasn't asking the right questions and didn't make sure it was the right time that I can devote my true 100% attention. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think adults are sometimes paranoid of having the wool pulled over their eyes <laughs> by, by a clever kid who's going to BS them and they're going to go for it. And i got to say, I never worry about that. Mm-hmm. It all comes out in the plan B wash. If I'm getting BSed, and i got to tell you, I don't, get, I don't get BSed very often, and that... I'm open to the possibility. Um, Carl Rogers, um, one of, of course, the eminent people uh, related to all of our training as it relates to working with people and understanding them, uh, had a a big term and that is, uh, had a big theme and that is that we should be open to experience. Um, We need to be open to the experience, open to the possibility that the vast majority of kids are actually being straight with us. And we can't let the ones who do BS us ruin it 
for the vast majority who don't, because even the ones who are BSing us, when we drill for information in the empathy step, either what they're telling us has legs or it doesn't. But because we are entering the interaction in a way that's trusting and simply trying to gather information and understand, um, we're going to figure out what's really going on, and we're going to get the kids' concern or perspective entered into consideration. And I'm very sorry to tell you all that we have run out of time for today. Wow. Can can I quickly add something, Ross? What? Well, I know that you you have a presence on Twitter that you uh, send out reminders for the the shows and everything. I'd like to let people know that I've started using the hashtag lost at school if anyone's interested in having conversations or or building their personal learning network um, using the lost at school hashtag on Twitter. Fabulous. There's a plug. (laughs) On that note, note, we're going to call it a day. Thank you all. Talk to you next month. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.